that with this pen that Mike had, it was brass. It had big knurls on it. You know, it had marks that show that it's circularly turned. You know, it was machined. It wasn't cast. It wasn't stamped. It wasn't, you know, deep drawn, whatever. It, it was a machined pen. And I was like, wow, the process like really speaks through the object. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's show is the final segment of our season about companies who produce their own products. Our guest is Ian Schoen, founder of Schoen Design Pens, a company that makes high-quality metallic pens machined on CNC Swiss lathes. One of Ian's core philosophies for the marketing and production of his pens is to show customers the process of their creation. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am honored to be with Ian Schoen, founder of Schoen Design Pens. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks for having me, Noah. It's great to have you. As we've been doing this the last several episodes, this has been a, a season about companies that make their own product. And we started out the season uh, with uh, Wilson Bohannon, a company that's been making locks for 160 years. and now we are going the other way. We are going to talk to Ian, whose company has been around for, for two years, correct? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess officially uh, in this, this rendition, I call it version three has been around for two years, but I, uh, I started it in 2012. Okay. Yeah. But it's okay. I mean, it's still really new, really new. Still a young company. Very young. I mean, I'm I'm a young guy. There's no way I'm going to have a company that's uh, that's old at this point. Well, it, no way you're going to found a company <laughs> that's old unless you know <laughs> unless right, you founded yeah. it when you were five or something. Then you never know. That would be a pretty legendary story. And here we are, babypreneurs with Noah Graf, the children who started their empires before they knew how to walk. You know, it's not inconceivable. Let's back up. <laughs> what? Does your company make what is Ian Schoen Design? Yeah, um, so Schoen Design is a pen manufacturing company, and um, my first products started off looking like this. You know, this is a ballpoint pen. I had this this idea that you know the pen should be. You got to be very very descriptive because a lot of the people are just listening. They can't see that. They can't see the pen. Imagine I'm holding up a beautiful pen and it's just awesome and you love it and your 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 eyes are transfixed. You're 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 deeply uh, you're in a trance. All right, describe this pen. Describe it. 
<laughs> it's a metal pen. Uh, it's a pen that's it's very compact when it's in your pocket. It's got threads on it, and then you it's got, unscrew the cap, and you can screw post it on the back. It's got a ball point, um, and it's you know it's about a half inch diameter, four inches long. And okay. I I started machining these pens. They've got a little. They've got a set screw in the back. It's like a very engineered, like kind of old timey slotted brass set screw with two chamfers on both sides. Unscrew that. You take out the ink cartridge. It's very, uh-huh. it's very mechanical. It's very, you know, there's a, a stain on this one. There's a stainless steel clip with two very small torques. Had you seen anything like that with the set screw before on another pen? No, but I got, I, I, I'm, I'm. Man, I got obsessed with set screws when I was in engineering school because I, you know, all right. So like, let's say you're like a, a civilian and you're not an engineer or a mechanic or a designer or oh, anyone. You're a, it's like, so I'm a civilian. You're a civilian. Let's say you're a civilian. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't know about set screws until I was in engineering school because I, I went to engineering school and people were like, there's a set screw. It's a non-headed screw. And I was like, What? Because <laughs> I never worked on cars growing up and bikes, you know, I, I worked on bikes, but they didn't have set screws. So I was like, set screws are cool. I want to design something with a set screw. So for some reason, this project was, I was like, I was like, ah, wait till you hear my big idea. I'm going to hold the ink in with a set screw. I didn't just, it was like, I don't know. This was a whim. I made a pen on a whim, but Shown Design makes pens. Okay. You make pens. You make three pens, right? Ballpoint pens. You make fountain pens. I'm holding up a faceted brass fountain pen that has a ton of really cool machining geometry on it. What what material is it? This one is brass. It's um it's a C360, and um, this is heavily patinaed. It's beautiful. It's got a fountain pen tip, and then I also make roller balls, which are essentially like smack dab in the middle between a fountain pen and a ballpoint. It's got a ballpoint the tip of the pen but it uses liquid ink so i mean yeah I, make I was i was wondering about that i and one of your videos explained it which i thought was awesome <laughs> i shot that video on friday <laughs> oh wow give us give, give the nitty-gritty real quick what's the difference between the three pens like a little more yeah, specifically totally so um when you think about someone who really loves pens they they're probably into fountain pens and I say that because there's so many variables, right? You have the ink color, you have the, the width of the tip of the fountain pen, the nib, they call it the nib, right? Let me see if I can find my camera here. For those, for those of you at home who are not uh, watching the video, I'm holding up a stainless steel nib and it's got a very fine point at the top, but these tips can be customized by a nib smith, kind of like you know, a, a nib specialist who would grind it to your style. And let's say that's, you like to write in cursive italic. They would grind the nib so that when you write with it, it produces a cursive italic stroke. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's a piece of, it's, it's like. And Just the nib itself. Is there anything, there's nothing practical about a fountain pen, but it makes you feel something. So these pen people, who I, and of which I am one, and there's many, there's many different types. They love being able to explore the different facets of the writing experience what color ink oh when the ink dries it's got a you know it's got a different hue it's got green purple or like whatever it is there's all these very and i don't even understand all this stuff yet because I'm, I'm new to fountain pens but it's it's a beautiful thing how do you make the fountain do you make the fountain part or you buy that no i buy the tip um, yeah but one i was of gonna projects, say that 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 looks like a whole nother deal making the tip well hold on hold on it's a whole nother deal 
but that's that's where I'm going. So uh, I'll tease I'll tease something right now. This is I'm holding up an anodized blue um, pocket six fountain pen, which is my like flagship pen, and this has a titanium nib in it, and it's probably not going to focus. But um, anyways, it's got a it's got a anodized titanium nib that I made for this pen. This is an in-house manufactured nib. And there's very few brands that make their own nibs because it's freaking hard. It sucks. It sucks to make them. And you can buy nibs for inexpensive amounts of money. And um, they can be customized to become something greater. But um, making nibs is kind of one of those things that, you know, I feel will in the future differentiate me from being a person who makes nib holders, you know, things that hold nibs that other people made to uh, actually being a pen manufacturer. And that's like, that's a weird, you know, I don't want to, I'm not poo-pooing anyone who does the same thing that I do, not making nibs. That's, you know, there's, there's plenty of craft in the pen side of it. However, I believe that as an engineer, as someone who's so technical, I want to pour myself into that piece of the puzzle because it's interesting. It's got a thin slit in it. It's, it's got, it's a cool manufacturing challenge. Sure. Tricky. Tricky. It looks really tricky. Okay. And then, Ballpoint versus rollerball. You you Great you question. briefly mentioned that. Great question. So the ballpoint pens have um, an ink cartridge that is, let's say, um, it's like um, it's like a metal cartridge that you swap the whole cartridge, and you know you're ready to go. You're ready to write again. With a rollerball, the ink cartridge is a liquid ink cartridge, and it's. Uh, you know, for, for those of you who can see this, I'm, I'm tipping up and down a cartridge that's got vibrant purple ink inside of it. And it's, it's truly liquid. It's moving all over the place, right? So this cartridge is actually a fountain pen cartridge. And the, the ball tip is its own unit, you could call it, a rollerball unit. And instead of integrating the two, where you would just swap the whole thing and swap in another cartridge, you're just changing the ink on this system. So the rollerball oh. is an ink well, they're, they're both, they both are liquid ink, but the rollerball is a reusable tip, whereas the ballpoint is not. And with that comes the ability to choose your ink. Let's say you have, let's say you went to Japan and you were at this fountain pen store, you were in Kingdom Note fountain pen store, and you found this limited edition pilot ink from this Japanese 20th, whatever. Like you find this ink that just is like, hmm. It hits you like right in your heart. That's the ink that you want in your pen. And with a ballpoint, you can't have it. But with a rollerball, you can. So it's if you're into this stuff and you're into the culture of collecting inks and finding things that are different than the conventional pen that you'd get from a bank, you know, you, you may dive crazy deep or you may just be like, oh, I like how it flows. It writes a little smoother. And that's why I like wow. fountain pens. I don't care about the ink. I don't care about the paper. But like, Maybe you do. Maybe you do care about all of it, and it becomes just a. Uh, it becomes the spice of life. I don't. I don't. Know. I never grew up with fountain pen, so I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm a n of one here. But who are my customers? They're just people who like to write with nice things, and I think that translates into people who just like nice stuff in general. Like, let's talk about watches for like two seconds. You know, I do manufacture watches as well. I have another brand called Shown Horology where I machine watch cases and hands and dials, et cetera. And wow. who are my customers for that? It's kind of the same ethos. People want something that's made by a person, right? Because there are plenty of places to get a great watch. There are plenty of places to get a great pen. Why not buy a Mont Blanc instead of a Shone? You know, brand recognition, you know, whatever. Like 
my customers care that like, they care about this right here. Like, you know, the fact that they have access to the person who does the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how often do you buy a product where you get to know the guy or gal who does the stuff? And, you know, I do Instagram stories where I'm trying to, you know, set up a tool or I'm indicating in a, a tool, a tool block or I'm changing a program or trying to manage chips right. and, and give people a window into this world of, of machining or where I'm talking about design and aesthetics and engineering choices and the, um, you know, the fun, the fun, like weird things that I make and who, like the, who is as important as the, what the experience is as important as like, you know, like, let's say the journey is as important as the destination with my products. And that may sound for, for those who don't like me, it makes them like me even less, right? It pushes you far. They're like, oh, this guy's a fucking asshole. Like he sucks. You know, he's, he's, he's so like, I, I don't want to see his face. I just want to see some pens, you know, less, less talk, more pen. But for those who do care about the community aspect of things or the maker aspect of things or like being inspired by a story is great. They love it. Um, I think they love it. Oh. Do you see yourself as a designer or a manufacturer or both I'm, or something I'm else? Both. I'm both. And I think um, that's where the, for me, that's like the secret sauce is that like I do it all. There are certain things I couldn't do if I wasn't the manufacturer and the designer. And I think. Let's, um, let's, let's back up. I know I'm interrupting you. No, please. All right. I want like the three minute version of how you got here where you you're making these pens on citizen machines primarily mm -hmm. so it seems like to me your two passions are pens watches that's just three passions and then the creation of them yes okay um so yeah. so 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 tell me um you started as an engineer when you were 18 mm-hmm so I, I started engineering school when I was 18, um, grew up in, before that I grew up in Baltimore. I was big into the music scene, DIY culture. Hey, let's, 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 uh, start bands. Let's book our own shows. Let's make our own venues. It's let's oh, do, do it ourselves. Do it, your, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Okay. Yeah. I was part of a bicycle co-op. I was into cycling. Mm -hmm. We were building bikes for people in the city. We're helping people pick, pick, fix up bikes. It's very like empowering, very just like, go, go get it done and be a part of this thing that's bigger than yourself. So that's like my growing up. Then I went to BU, was getting an engineering degree. Boston University. Boston University. Thank you. Um, and uh, I, I was like, I want to learn to make stuff better and, and be that guy that can just make anything. And so you thought, oh, engineering, that, that engineering. makes sense. That makes sense. Right. But, but it was not very hands-on. So I was like, whoa, how do, how do I get my hands on this stuff? So I got really into the idea of machining and I started, you know, trying to find machines to work with. And I ended up over at MIT at the Electronics Research Society, which is this little mm. club called Miters, which was like kind of like a hacker space vibe. Um, and the people were really cool and they had a bunch of machines and it was like totally not OSHA anything. It was like really <laughs> sketchy. And they got shut down a couple of times, but now they're still open. They're an amazing space and I love them dearly. But anyways, I started working there, turning the handles, I ended up working at a physics shop at Boston University and taking a course through them, which was incredible. Um, and I like, that's like a whole nother story. But um, 
yeah, I started turning the handles and then I went home one year, um, you know, from college. I think I was, uh, my, after my first year, my freshman year, and I wanted to play with machines more. And I was working at a bike shop in Baltimore over the summer. And I went on Craigslist and me and my, me and my brothers, we bought a $300 clausing like, um, from the forties and we, me and my brothers lugged it out of the basement and we were like, I'm sure they made them better back then anyways. Yeah, they were, they were nice machines. That was a cool machine. I didn't even have a gearbox on it for threading. So I was like just using dies and tabs, but whatever, whatever, got it done. Right. So I got this lathe, put it in my parents' garage, very thankful that they allowed me to use that space, um, you know, while I was home for the summer and I just started making chips and I started making pens because my friend had a cool pen and I, I didn't, it was cool, but I didn't like it. I wanted it to be shorter. I was like, I, I see, I had a vision the minute I saw this pen. So you were already, but you were already all about pens. I was like, I just want to make stuff, right? So like, you hadn't been a pen collector yet, or no, no, no. I never, I've never, I'd never bought a nice pen before I made a pen. Um, and I, I just like, I like the concept of I care about something, so let me go make that thing for myself. And it was not about commerce. It was not. It was the pure, the purest thing. I used to make my own backpacks when I was in high school. I would sew these bicycle messenger bags, and I'd wear them around the city. People were like, can I buy that? And I'm like, these, I'll give you the template. Here, let me make an instruction set. And I ended up teaching a, a class at a local church uh, on how to make bicycle messenger bags. Hysterical, right? As like 17-year-old. But like, I always liked this idea of making things. I made hats. I made wallets. I was like that kid who made stuff out of duct tape. It's like, you know, weird, a little weird, a little weird. I like making things too, to some extent, but I'm very slow. I, you, the That's, amount of yeah. stuff that you make, it sounds like you, you know how to make things pretty efficiently. I don't know that I'm efficient. I think I'm, uh, I have perseverance. I bite in and I sink my teeth in and I will not lose sight of it. When I was, um, that summer that I bought that lathe, I also was building bicycle frames because the pinnacle in the cycling world, in my mind, was like not to, you know, I was racing too. I was racing bikes, but I was like, I want to build the frame that I'm racing on because that is just like the ultimate flex and not like in a, well, I, I mean a little bit like in an egotistical way, you know, I want to be racing my own frame. Sure. But also just because like, it's freaking cool. It's just so cool. It's so cool to number one, know the person who built your bike. If, if you pay a custom builder to get one, that's great. But to make your own bike, it's like wild. And I was like this 19 year old kid. I wanted to prove myself. But anyways, I got, I got really into college. I got really into building stuff. I'd go home for summers. I'd work on things. I'd be making pens. I'd be making bikes. And I was trying to build a portfolio mm -hmm. so that I could become a product designer, which is what I set my sights on when I was in college. I wanted to be the guy that you come to or work for the company that you go to to design your products, to have them made. I wanted to be the person that they asked, how do we make this? And I'd be like, well, you can cast it. You can machine it. You can injection mold it. You can whatever. I wanted to be that person. Okay. So I had my sights set on uh, working at working in in product development. Did you get an engineering degree? Yep, and I got an engineering degree for four years. But you know, outside the engineering degree, I was doing all these extracurriculars. I was building this portfolio of work that enabled me to say, "Hey, I know about engineering. I got my degree, but I also did this stuff. Here's what I did, and here's how I approached solving these problems." And they wanted you. They then they wanted you when they saw that portfolio. They did. And I think for any uh, young listeners out there, like portfolio, 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 you got to have it. Show us what you can do. Or, or even people who are looking to change careers, build a portfolio of stuff that you do and show people, communicate the portfolio is as important as the, the work itself. The ability to 
talk about a complex idea and a complex execution and be like, here's how I did it step by step. So I built this asset that like kind of documented my life and it got me into a job at a company called Essential Design um, where I was doing pro audio equipment. I was doing scientific instruments for mass spectrometry. I was working on, um, what else did we do? We did some home, home goods. We did a bunch of cool stuff, but again, it was gun for hire. You know, projects were short. You might be on two or three projects at once. And I worked there. And again, nights and weekends outside of that, there was like a whole nother world. You know, I was still doing pens. So when did you start making the pens? 2012? 2011, I machined my first pen. An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes, and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice, but if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. I didn't have any friends who wrote with fountain pens or wrote with nice pens, really, except for my friend Mike, who was an engineering collaborator at the time. He was like one of my best buddies. And he had this cool machined pen that was an embassy pen, they call them. And they were like these knurled brass. It's like a very, it has a very machined aesthetic. You could tell that it was like made on a lathe. Um, and he bought it from a local men's, men's good kind of like nice accessories spot down in downtown Boston. And I, I you know, that, that's what kind of got me biting the bug. And, you know, from there, I started making my own iterations of this. You tried out his pen and you were like, I like the feel of this or? It wasn't even the feel. It was more of the idea that I knew it was machine. Like you ever see a design? Okay. Like let's talk about the iPhone for a second. Sure. Like some of the cases on the iPhones are machine, but you're not like, wow, that's machine. You're like, wow, this is an immaculate, crazy object that kind of hides its origin story. There are objects that tell you through their design language how they're made. And there are objects that don't. There are objects that are that are just like, how did they do this? And you kind of have to like think about it for a second, or you have to have the knowledge to break it down. So with this pen that Mike had, it had these, it was brass, it had big knurls on it, it had machine, you know, had marks that show that it's circularly right. turned. You know, it was machined. It wasn't cast, it wasn't stamped, it wasn't, you know, deep drawn, whatever. It, it was a machined pen. And I was like, wow, the the process like really speaks through the object and I that, see. that and other things like handmade knives, like connect you sometimes with the way that they're made. You make a decent amount of videos, you make Instagrams, you do blogs. And to me, one thing I've noticed is that having yourself be communicated in what you're doing, teaching people about the process this is a key to your strategy, or maybe this is just what, what comes out of you? Probably both. Would you say that this is, this is your way, one of your ways of getting people to buy your product versus somebody else, making it personalized, making it seem personalized? It's a hunch. You know, I can't tell you if it's the winning strategy because I've never tried that. But that is one of your strategies. I would say it's what feels good. I think it's genuine for me. And if I were, you know, when I talk about like my brand in, in air quotes, the things that I care about, like if you were to talk about like five attributes of your brand, one of them is like genuine, honest energy, you know, just being yourself. And when I write the copy on my website, I think about that. I'm not thinking about 
Ian makes his pens. I'm thinking about like, I just, I just make the pens and I, I be with that content. That's how I create that. And when I take the photos, I'm not editing them and polishing them. It's like, no, this is just like what it is. I shoot them on wood on a friend's notebook in my shop. And when I create this content, it's not about present like some brands and there's nothing wrong with this. Your presentation is pretty good though. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think you're, I think you're selling yourself short. Well, well, it's, it's, it's good, but it's, it's honest content. It's humble content. I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. This is like really who I am. And that earnest nature, I think builds trust and trust is important in a relationship uh, that's transactional. People don't want to get ripped off. They don't want to pay too much. They don't want to buy something that someone says, Oh, it's, it's made here. And then it's made somewhere else. They don't so your want pens that. Are, your pens are $70 to $270. Yep. Yep. Okay. They're not cheap by any means. Um, it's a lot to pay for an object, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's just kind of like the, the marketplace is also such that if you come up with unique designs and you bring something to the table that isn't there, people re- will reward that energy as enthusiasts, you know, they want to see new stuff in the space. Like, for example, I'm holding up right now a multicolored, you know, red, yellow, blue, splatter, anodized pocket six fountain pen. And using that type of look within this space is less common. Does it mean that if you made one that looked exactly the same with the same process that you'd sell a a hot, sell like hotcakes? Probably not. Because I believe that, like, again, with the space, it's the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, wow, like, the product is comfortable to use. It's the right price. I understand it. It's not something that is, like, you know, there's, like, a guise of, like, luxury. Like, some people joke about Mont Blanc pens, which I like, by the way, and I have a lot of respect for the brand. But they say it's made out of, like, precious resin. You know, they're injection-molded parts that are, like, polished and, like, set up mm-hmm. nicely. but. But in some of the marketing material, they call it precious resin. As if it's like a precious metal. <laughs> so people laugh because you don't understand it. And there's like a guy's and you could just say, oh, it's precious resin. But like anyone who starts to break that down and doesn't drink the Kool-Aid might feel bad about spending $300 for a precious resin pen. You mean if they've done injection molding before? <laughs> right, exactly. And they're like, oh, that's, you know, a shot. And then you're going to secondary operation, whatever it is. But like this stuff is complicated and with any product and with any brand. You just kind of need to do what works for you to have low friction to be able to produce and to get there. So you you use we'll bring a little bit of the machining aspect in this. So you have a uh, you have more than one citizen now, or just one citizen? I have four L series machines. Mm-hmm. I have two of them that are L sixteens, and two of them that are L twenties that have been like kind of converted back to L sixteens because they have. Um, 0201 guide bushings in them. Okay. They're like a little bit smaller than what some of the L20s used to be. Is machining a pen on a Citizen, that's not the easiest way you could make a pen. I don't know. We were talking about indexes, you and I, the other day. Yeah. Might be nice, but uh, I don't have the volume to support it, you know? <laughs> but but I mean, how many pens, how many pens do you sell? Uh, I don't even know. I I wish that's a goal for this year is to have a better understanding of like my business. As okay. Yeah. So, I, so I was wondering that Yeah. you're a, a solopreneur, as you say. Yes. Yeah. Are you machining every single day? Are you on the citizens every day? I mean, you can no. l- let them go, you know? No, I'm not, I'm not on them every day. And so what do you need four for? Oh, 
So in case one breaks down. <laughs> yeah. So I had one and it broke down and that really, really sucked. Is that the one from 1993? Yes. Yes. You had that in the video and you made it really look like something special. Yeah. Thank you. 1993 citizen. I mean, it is something special. These are great machines. <laughs> Use machines. Not to, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're great. You can make stuff. You get started on these things. A pattern I see with you, you're willing to just try, to try things. You're not, you're not yeah. afraid. No, I, I, I have tremendous, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I have a lot of energy around this type of stuff. And that's like a really vague way to put it. But like, I have like a hunger to solve challenges and to just like, to just like do something. And it's from here, you know, I, I, it's not, it was never about money or about like climbing the ladder or anything. I just like, I like just want to do it. And then I just, I'm going to figure out a way to do this. Like I wanted to make a pen with texture on it, you know, with um, that had a feeling when you held it in your hand. So I designed this faceted pen. This is a project from this year and it's got 860 something milled passes per part. So it's like 1600 milled passes Wow. It's, uh, four macros and it's done in four sections. Well, each, each, each part is done in two sections, like because of the guide bushing land. But um, no one asked for this. No one was like, Ian, we need you to make a pen with a lot of texture. Ian, we need you to make a pen that requires an incredibly long milling cycle. I'm using the indexer. What made you decide to make it? I wanted it in my heart. You know, I just wanted to make a cool thing with a cool texture. I wanted to feel something with my fingers. And that led me to just like thinking using my design hat, I started making groove pens like, you know, cause on a you know, machine, you can groove the parts very easily. You can make a lot of ridges and grooves. So I came up with a, a ridged grip, a grip that had these ridges on it. That was the first thing I made. One of the first That's things I made very this cool. year. I'd like to feel one of those. It's cool. Yeah. I should send you a pen. You know what? I should send you a pen, but um, we'll, we'll work that out later. But I got, I got the, ridged, <laughs> the ridged grip and, and it was cool. And I was like, I'm going to make a ridged pen something that has like more texture. So you feel it in your hand and it's like a worry stone, you know, people like things with texture. I, I can't speak for people. I like things with texture. All right. So is that you're, you're making things that you think people are going to like, or do you just want to make something that you like? I like it. It's for me. And I, I, there's, there's like certain characteristics of this product where I, you know, I, I'm, I'm out there, I'm at the pen shows, I'm connecting with my customers. I'm trying to understand what they want. You know, because it's not just about designing a product for yourself. However, with some of these things that go outside of the realm of like your normal window of business, right? Like, let's say, you know, there are things that we know are going to sell in the pen space and you could just focus on making those and optimizing the business and doing marketing and hiring and doing that stuff. But that's not, that's not the thing that is fun for me. So I don't do that. I just like make the stuff. And then I'm like, you know, what would be cool. This thing that sits just outside of the normal window of what would be right for business. that would be super cool. And I'm not like, what's the ROI on it? How many of these could I sell? Could I push it through my distribution? I'm not thinking about that. I just want to make the thing. And then everything else kind of comes beyond it or comes, comes uh, after it. And the intuition is what drives the business. I have an intuition that this is cool. Can you be successful doing it this way with this, with this philosophy? I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. Where do you, where do you see this going in uh in a year? In in 5 years? I don't know. <laughs> Next week. I don't know, man. <laughs> Next week I want to have one of these L's running. I'm setting it up right now for a new product that's like freaking awesome, new pen product. 
And I've got big R&D plans for this coming year. And I've got stuff that I'm going to make that I don't think, I don't know if it's going to succeed or not. And it's not safe in the space. Like it's not a safe bet product wise, but it's something that I believe in. And it's, you know, I showed you in the beginning of that call there, you know, that fountain pen nib that I made. There's a desire for, for innovation in the space. It's stale. There's a lot of big players, a lot of big brands who maybe come up with something innovative, but it's like small innovation, like uh, evolution, not revolution, right? So I've got ideas that are really big and I just want to put them out there, put them on the table. And because I own the machines and because I own the process, I'm going to go do it and we're going to see what happens. And maybe that's going to become the future of my company, that product. And it will completely replace everything else. And I'm going to need to pour gas on the fire and get employees in here. And I'll be calling you and we'll get a truck come in with a bunch more machines and buy a building, take it all over. Or I'm going to be wrong and I'm going to have spent 40 grand and I'm going to eat it. And I'm just going to like, uh, you know, cry silent tears and go back to making product that's a little bit safer. And that's okay. What is, uh, what's something interesting you learned last week? Mm. And I'm I'm assuming you learned like a gazillion things last week, but just one thing that comes to mind. Ooh. Doesn't have to be about your business. Great question. I was talking to another machinist and they sent me a really cool way to do like a looping macro in my newer machines and the new L's, which I'm pretty excited about. Tell me what a looping macro is. It's just like a way to like loop a single line of code. Okay. It's not, maybe it's not even a macro. It's just a way, it's like a loop. But the way that they coded it was really elegant. And it would just like repeat this line for a number of iterations. And I was like, that's nice. Because I like, I like the programming side. That kind of popped up. This is totally off the cuff. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm also terrible with my memory. So this is like a, you're, you're prodding at my Achilles heel here. But uh, what else did I learn last week? I try to write, write down every, every day at the end of the day what I did. I like that. I have a to-do list. I mean, you should see it. It's total chaos, but... um, That's totally another thing. But the end of the day thing, because you wonder what the hell did I do that day? Yeah, last week, week I also learned about another way to manage my manufacturing workflow from talking to another entrepreneur who said that they manage their assembly process using this company called Tulip.co. Ian, what uh, if people want to go and find the pens online or buy them, et cetera, where should people go? They should go to shondsgn.com. So that's S-C-H-O-N-D-S-G-N.com. So it's shown design, but without any of the vowels in design. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's the best place to buy them. That's my website. Feel free to send me an email. Thank you so much. <laughs> this, was, this was really, really interesting. My pleasure. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. <laughs>